Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this final Sunday of July. We're working our way into August. Believe it or not, we're already uh, coming back into school starting and our fall schedule starting back up again. And uh, so uh, summer is winding down. I hope you are enjoying uh, wherever you are and the things that you are doing today. A couple announcements as we begin our day. One is next Sunday night, August 6th at 6 p.m. We have a barbecue at the Perkins house, Rick and Heather Perkins, and then followed by a baptism service at their pool. And uh, there are seven people from our church right now that are being baptized. We're excited about that. Uh, If for some reason you want to be a part of that and haven't told me yet, give me a call right away, and we will include you in that very special service. And uh, come on out uh, there. Bring a side dish or a dessert to share. We're going to have meat that we're going to put on the grill and some of the pork from July 4th that we've saved, um, some beautiful smoked pork and and, uh, barbecue there that we'll bring too. It'll be a nice evening together. And then the following week, Sunday, April 13th, that will kick off our two services again. We will go back to having services at 8.30 and 10.30. And on that particular Sunday, we're even going to have a breakfast in the middle for you. Um, Instead of Sunday school, we're going to have this kind of fall kickoff breakfast. And so from 9.15 to 10.15, we will have biscuits and gravy and pancakes downstairs if you'd like to join us, a chance to be together. And then we'll we'll start Sunday school up the following week. But so things are kind of getting going again uh, for the fall season. We'll have uh, sign-ups in the back tables there, just if you would like to sign up to be a part of a small group Bible study or have your kids in midweek or uh, volunteer to help in the many different mission things that we have. If you're interested in that, sign-ups will be happening uh, during this next month. All right, getting into our scripture for today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Jonah, chapter 1 in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, chapter 1. We're in the middle of a sermon series right now called Be Still, and it's an opportunity for us to look at all the different scriptures that talk about being still and knowing that he is God. In the middle of our distractions, our anxieties, the busyness of life, uh, the trials, the big things that we face that, that scare us to death, to just pausing and remembering that God is God in the middle of all of this, and that he's got us and that he loves us, and to not miss the beauty of what God may want to accomplish or to see or for us to know in this moment. And so we've looked at some great scriptures so far. Uh, Today, there's something great for us, I think, as well in this chapter. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, I'm going to read it for us. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up against for me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. 
the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice to us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And the lots they cast fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for all making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From whose people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, What should we do uh, to you to make this sea calm down for us? And Jonah said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. And that word is still. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So they cried to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. Oh, Lord, have you do as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea became calm or still. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Psalm 62, verse 5 says, In God alone is my soul at rest. I chose this story of Jonah for our fourth sermon on Be Still, because it deals with the theme of running away from God. And when we are running away from God, there is no rest in our life, no stillness in our soul. When we are running away from God, when there are things in our life that shouldn't be, but we are full speed ahead in the wrong direction, closing our eyes and closing ourselves off to God's will. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to change. We want to do what we want to do, even though it's not God's will for us and we know it. When we run from God and we go in the opposite direction from what God wants, our life will find calamity instead of calm, just like Jonah. It will find chaos instead of peace. And it is because we are fighting against God, going against the Spirit instead of with Him. And this brings disaster to us and those around us. Jonah knew the trouble that the sailors were facing was because of him. The ripple effect of sin in our life both destroys us and the people around us. It throws their life into a storm. Our sin affects others. Until we repent, wake up, and surrender our life to the will of God and his purposes, we will only continue to find pain instead of peace, a storm instead of stillness. You know, sometimes we are Jonah and running a thousand miles in the wrong direction. Sometimes we're the people in the boat 
and it's our friend or family member who we love that is doing wrong, and it brings disruption to our life. It brings frustration and hurt, and we can both get angry and sad at the person because we love them, but they keep destroying their life and all those around them, keep choosing poorly, keep going in the wrong direction, and man, we keep praying for them. We keep trying to get them to wake up. We keep throwing cargo and rowing and rowing in our own strength, not wanting to give up on them or throw them over board, but the storm only gets wilder and wilder. Notice the only time in our scripture when the sea becomes calm is when they finally give Jonah to God. And for Jonah too, he knows it's all pointless. Jonah knows they gotta throw him in. He has to fully surrender his life into the Lord's hands. But when he does, he doesn't find the wrath of God, but the mercy of God. For he doesn't die, but God miraculously saves him in the belly of a whale. Psalm 62.5 says, In God alone is my soul at rest. If you are running from God today, or you love someone who is, this scripture and this sermon is for you. So turning now to the scripture, I want to make a few points. The first thing we need to know here is that Jonah was a prophet. He had a calling on his life. I think about Jeremiah, another prophet, and how God said to him in Jeremiah 1.4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah says back to God after that, I'm just a kid. I don't know how to speak. How can I be your prophet? And God says back to him, don't say I'm just a child. You must go to everyone I send you to, and you must say whatever I command you to say. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. So like Jeremiah, Jonah was born with this calling on his life. God had ordained his life from the very beginning, had appointed him for a particular purpose. And I believe the Bible says the same thing about you and me. You know, when we were this little baby even, you know, maybe even before we were even born and took our first breath in, in on this earth, God already knew what he had made us for. We were born with a purpose on our life. It was his purpose. Everyone is first born to love and worship and serve God only. This is true for everybody. But I really do believe God uniquely has certain things that he has given to each one of us. I really do believe that. I really do believe that I was to be a pastor. And I believe from a young age, I began to see this. I have and see people, you know, telling me this. Others, you know, in life, they learn that they're supposed to be a teacher or a doctor or maybe serve in a particular way at church or called to help a particular person. They come to see that in their life or, or give with a certain compassion or, or whatever. But 
maybe one person is supposed to be a person's mom or a dad, and that's the way that God has chosen them in this life. You know, you know I think of in the Bible, we see this Esther was born to be queen for the time that she was and do what she did. Moses was born to lead the people as he did out of Egypt. Ruth was born to take care of her mother-in-law and eventually become the grandmother to David. Mary was born to be Jesus' mom. Peter to start the church. Paul to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Psalm 139 says that God has ordained all of our days. So Jonah, you see, was born with a purpose. He was called to be a prophet. And just as God had told Jeremiah that you got to go everywhere I command you to go and speak whatever I command you to speak, so too for Jonah. His whole purpose in life was to serve God and go wherever God said go and say whatever God said say. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And the prophets of the Old Testament, man, they didn't have it easy. They had a tough life. They loved God and were often called to speak the tough stuff, often at risk to their own livelihood. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, they had to say what the people did not want to hear. And at times they were killed for it by kings or by mobs, but they were willing to do it. Well, now the unique thing about Jonah is that Jonah was not called to speak to Israel, God's own people, but Jonah was called to enter into enemy territory and speak to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, a foreign and an evil nation. Assyria had attacked and raped and pillaged their land many times. They had a horrible history. Assyria had destroyed their cities and killed many of their people. The history of Assyria with Israel is full of pain. Assyria was not a good nation, and Nineveh was their capital. At the time of Jonah, it was a city full of wickedness, as our scripture says, full of violence, sexual immorality, prostitution, witchcraft, idolatry, exploiting of the poor. Everything bad in the world was in Nineveh. And Jonah was God's prophet. He loved God. He loved God's people. He loved the law. He hated Nineveh. Nineveh was everything that he saw that was bad in the world, everything that he stood against. Not only were they an offense to God, but they had brought so much pain to him and his family and his country. My guess is that Jonah probably grew up praying that God would one day destroy Nineveh and free them from its oppression. Kind of like in Jesus' day, the Pharisees wanted a Messiah to overcome their enemy and get rid of them once and for all. And so they were disappointed to find out that Jesus came to save their enemy just like them. They didn't want that. In the same way, we see that there is this conflict in Jonah's heart. He doesn't want what God wants. This is why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah isn't afraid of them. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he is afraid that God's grace will come upon that place. And he doesn't want to be a part of that. In the final chapter of Jonah, Jonah 4.2, this is exactly what Jonah's complaint is. 
after he finally goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents, which is a miracle, God shows that city grace. He doesn't destroy them, but blesses them. And Jonah gets angry at God. And he says, this is exactly why I didn't want to come here. Because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. Jonah did not want to see good come to his enemy. That is why he is running the opposite direction. Which makes me stop and think. Are there people in my life that have hurt me deeply or offended me so by their actions so badly that, that I don't want them to know the goodness of God? I would rather they suffer. You know, I want to see them fall, right? Sometimes we can talk like this. It's, it's almost like we want certain people or groups to go to hell. We are so angry or hurt or offended by them, and, and I get it. But the truth is that Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Not one. The Bible says he desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That means even the person who has hurt you the most, he still seeks and to save the lost. He is still hoping that that person or that that group of people will eventually turn to him and repent and be saved. And so the real question is, are we hoping for the same thing that God is hoping for? Are we wanting the same thing that God wants? Or are we wanting to see them fall, suffer, destroyed for what they have done to us? Maybe this is why Jesus calls us in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for our enemies and to forgive as we have been forgiven because he doesn't want our hearts to turn cold to those that he still cares about and that we would become bitter people. Even though he definitely despises and hates sin, that's for sure. He is a holy God and he is not pleased at all by what they may have done or are doing and he is going to send his judgment he still wants us to know, though, that he made that person, and he still loves that person, and he died for that person, too, and is still working and will work all the way up in that person's life to draw them to himself. And this is his prayer, that one day they will surrender, that they will recognize him, see their sin, turn to him and be saved. Do we pray and hope for the same thing that God is hoping and praying for? Are we forgiving the people in our life? You know, until we forgive the people who have hurt us, we won't have peace inside. You know, not, not all of us are called to preach to our enemies like Jonah was, but we are called to pray for them and to forgive them which doesn't mean to accept bad behavior or continue to let them hurt us, but it, but it is giving them to God and praying his will for their life, no longer wishing them harm but good and praying that one day they might be restored to God and have his peace. Coming back to our story here, Jonah is a prophet. He was supposed to go wherever God told him to go and say whatever God told him to say. But inside here, he's having difficulty. We read that Jonah is running away from the Lord. 
And it says in our scripture that he headed for Tarshish instead. And that's an important detail because Tarshish is the furthest city in the opposite direction to where God told Jonah to go. Jonah was running away from God in the opposite direction, trying to get as far away from God as he could. But think for a minute just how foolish that is. You and I cannot escape God. Psalm 139 makes this clear. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I travel to the far side of the sea, even there, your right hand is with me. We cannot flee from God. We cannot hide from God. Just like Adam and Eve found out in the garden, we can't. It is believed here that Jonah, though, tried running away and fleeing from the Lord, not just out of disobedience, because he was thinking somehow in his head that if I just get far away from God, God will either leave me alone or forget about me and send somebody else to do the work so that I don't have to go. And I think this might be a little bit like us. When we feel God telling us to do something, we don't want to do it. We may try to ignore him for a long time. We may turn away and just hope that he sends somebody else to help that person or give or whatever that we don't have to do. We may try to avoid God in prayer or not open our Bible as much really right now because we're afraid he's telling us to do something we don't want to do it. It can be like us. But what I see in our chapter is that this calling on Jonah's life was not just about Nineveh. It was about Jonah. If God was only concerned about Nineveh getting this message, if he was just task-oriented, then God would have probably just let Jonah go then and found another prophet willing to replace him. But God doesn't do that. God stays with Jonah. Because God is not just concerned about the people we minister to, he is also concerned about us and what's going on inside of our heart. And he saw hatred inside the heart of his prophet Jonah. And God was going to deal with that. At the same time, is confront Nineveh in its sins. And I have found this to be God's way so many times in my life. He doesn't let me get away with anything. There have been many times that I thought I was going there to help somebody or teach somebody or do something, only to find that the whole thing was more of a ministry to me than to them. God was speaking to me. God was working something inside of me, something that I needed to hear and surrender. One of the most obvious examples of this was the couple mission trips I went on to other countries. And I, I thought I was going down there to help the poor and build a clinic and give to them, which also happened. But I came home realizing I received way more than I gave. And I was the one that changed the most. I was the one who needed to see something, to release something. It was like God sent me far away from home to open my eyes to what I could not see right here. This is the mystery of ministry. We find in our serving of the Lord that we are the ones served. We find in our loving of others that we are the ones that, that know 
deeper the love of God. We find in our giving that we're the ones who receive the pastor in need more than the congregation. The servant is wounded and healed as much as the patient. There is something that God is wanting to do in us as we go to others. We become the changed. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, not just for Nineveh, but for Jonah. Something he wanted Jonah to see and know. That is why Jonah runs. And God runs after him. He doesn't let him just go and send another prophet because he wasn't interested in just saving Nineveh, but also saving Jonah. Well, how does God do it? Well, when Jonah runs, the first thing that God does is send a storm. Now, we probably don't see the grace of God in the storms that come up in our life and how as God is working all things together for his good or trying to get our attention and turn us back to him. But God is doing that in the storms. His grace is amidst them. It might be his judgment as well, but it is also his love there. As the Bible says, they go together because God disciplines those that he loves. So even in the hardships in our life, they are serving a purpose. And notice that when God sent this great wind and a violent storm, that the ship threatened to break apart. And at first, Jonah is asleep and unaffected. But who is affected? The sailors, the guys in the boat with him. Verse 5 says they each became afraid and started to pray to their own God, which tells us that they're not Hebrews. They don't know God. They're praying to false gods, but it's all they know. And they just happened to be in the boat right at that moment with Jonah. And so that tells me two things. First, it means that they're in the storm because of Jonah. It is Jonah's sin that God is dealing with, and because they're in the boat they're also going to be affected by the storm. Just like in our life, our choices affect our family, our friends, our coworkers. Sin has this ripple effect. The calamity comes to everyone. What I do positively or negatively affects Carrie and the kids and those around me. The kids are affected by dad's addictions or his anger or the chaos or anxiety he brings to the home. The parents sleepless nights over the child and what they're doing. The sister whose choices bring pain to her friends or the person at our job and work environment or the country even by the sins of the whole. When people sin and are running from God, it doesn't just affect them. It affects everyone in the boat. They all experience calamity the destructive nature of sin and its consequences. Their storm is, their life is in a storm because of Jonah. And I think that is, you know, humbling to deeply reflect on this. How have my sins brought pain to others? And how has the sin of others brought pain to me? Because both are true. Calamity will always follow sin. When we are running away from God, many are affected not just us. My sin won't just cause me pain, but those around me pain, those who love me, those whose lives are attached to mine. But the second thing we see about these sailors in the boat is that these guys, it also means they're going to get now an opportunity to get to know the real God. And that's the good part. <laughs> 
the true God was about to reveal himself to these men, which I find so awesome because they're just the side characters in the story. They're not Nineveh or Jonah, but because God is always at work around us, even in our failures, other people are going to have an opportunity to see him at work in us. Yes, even in our failures. For they had to go through the storm, but in the end, when the water calms, they come to fear the Lord. And instead of praying to their false gods anymore, they're offering an offering to the Lord now, and it says they make vows to him. And I find it comforting that even in my failures, my struggles, my sufferings, when I'm going in the wrong direction, as God is trying to wake me up, God can still use those moments, the brokenness of my life, to help somebody else see the truth of him, and he will. And that's what happens. For God sends this storm, and the people in the boat are affected, and they're, they're trying everything. They're throwing stuff overboard to lighten the ship. They are rowing harder and harder, but nothing's working. And so they wake up Jonah, who is sleeping on the boat, just like us or the people we love who are stuck in sin. At times, it almost just feels like we're asleep. You know, we're just sleeping. They're just sleeping. They can't see what their lives are, are doing and causing. I mean, why don't they wake up and see the disruption or the pain that they're bringing to everybody else? It's like they're in this deep sleep. And so the sailors, see, they got to wake Jonah up and they start asking him questions and they even cast lots to try to figure out, I mean, who's to blame for what's going on here? And it falls onto Jonah. I tell you, you know, when a person's in that kind of deep sleep, you know, um, it's like they know that they're running away from God, but they just don't care anymore. They aren't praying anymore, but others are. They don't want to be in church, read their Bible, be around us, because they know they're guilty. They don't want to face it. They're just going to run. They're afraid to look on the inside to see what's really there and to face it, to have to deal with it. So they're not honest around other people whether the sin, the pain, the ugly, the shame, the regret, or whatever, the afraid of, or the truth, they're running, and they're sleeping. But the sailors wake Jonah up, and Jonah is found out to be the reason they're in the storm, and Jonah knows there's only one way out of this storm, out of this calamity to the calm. Jonah is a prophet. I mean, he preaches this stuff. He knows what needs to happen in this moment. He just doesn't want to do it. And it's repentance. It is surrender to the will of God, Jonah. He's your only hope, your only way. Eventually, Jonah steps up, he owns up, and he says, I know why we're in this trouble. It's me. I am a Hebrew, a child of God, and I worship the Lord, the one who made these seas. And the sailors say, what have you done? And it comes out that he's running away from the Lord, trying to flee the Lord. And so they ask Jonah, well, what are we supposed to do? And Jonah knows what needs to be done. In verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And I love that verse. I mean, he says, I know it's my fault. Jonah is admitting his sin. He is confessing it. He's willing to accept the consequences of God. He's asking them to throw him in. Give him to God, for that's the only way the sea is going to be still. 
But the sailors resist. They don't want to do it. I mean, they're afraid. What will it mean for them if they throw this guy in and he dies? And so they try any other way. They try their best to row harder, but they can't. In fact, it says that the sea grows wilder than before. There's no other way forward. They have to give Jonah to God. And as soon as they put him in the water, the raging sea becomes calm. And their eyes are opened to see God. And when Jonah was thrown overboard, something amazing happens. He did not experience the wrath of God, but the mercy of God. Once Jonah came to that place of confession and repentance and surrender, he found the Lord. Mercy. The Lord didn't abandon him. Jonah didn't die in the water. But God's mercy is so great, he sent this great fish that swallowed Jonah. And for three days and three nights, Jonah was safe in the belly of that fish. He did not die. Three days and three nights. What does that sound like? Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. For I think who willingly dove into the judgment of God for me three days and three nights so that I wouldn't die? Jesus did. Jonah was saved the moment he surrendered, the moment he owned up, the moment he gave all. And then he immediately was met with the mercy of the Lord. And inside that fish... We read in Jonah chapter 2, he prayed and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depth of my grave, I called to him for help and he listened to me. He hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And when I thought I was going to be banished from his sight, he brought my life up from the grave. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and you saved me. When the three days and nights were over, the fish spit Jonah onto dry ground, and Jonah went and obeyed the Lord. He went to Nineveh. And sure enough, after preaching there, the city repented of their sin, and God did not send his wrath to that city. He saved Nineveh just like he saved Jonah. Instead of destroying it, he restored it. At first, Jonah was put off by this grace of God. He still struggled with it, but God came to him and said in Jonah 4, you got no right to be angry for the same grace that was given to you, I gave to them. The same forgiveness I've shown to you in love and salvation. I wanted to give it to Nineveh too. Jonah, Nineveh has 120,000 lost people that need me. I wanted to save them. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is his hope, his purpose for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. Forgiveness, grace, God's love, the cross is for everyone who turns to him. And we love it when God shows us grace and all of our stuff, but we don't always love it when he shows it to others. 
or wants us to show it to them. I want to ask you, are you running away from God today? The calamity you feel inside and the chaos you might be experiencing outside, the only way forward to calm is Christ. Instead of continuing to fight God and his will for your life, surrender all to him and the raging sea inside will be stilled and start running to God rather than away from him. Run to the purposes for which he made you and you will find your life. For Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will truly find it. God's plan is not to harm you, but to save you. He is not an evil God, but a good one, a holy one. He does not hate you, but he loves you. He's not against you, but he is for you. For you belong to him. You were made for him, and so stop running from him. In God alone is our soul at rest. So I end with this thought. You know, sometimes we look at other people and we say, oh, this applies to them. You know, they're really running from God. It's obvious what they're doing is rebellious and we know that it is bad, but, but it had been something for me over this past week to think, where am I running? Maybe it's not a full force in the opposite direction run, but maybe I have turned a little bit away. Maybe I'm just avoiding the things that God really wants me to go and do. Or that person that he really wants me to love that I don't want to. Or that hard sacrifice he really wants me to make. Where am I just slightly turning away and not doing what God has called me to do? And where can I see that God is not letting me go from that? He keeps running after me. Not just because of them, but because he sees me. He's not letting me go. He loves me too much to not see me live into the fulfillment of all his purposes for my life. Boy, we got to stop running from God and living in the calamity and start running towards God, experiencing his peace and power at work in us. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.